When Jenny was singing to us right at the beginning, I was listening to the words and then kind of in my mind, uh, scenes from The Passion. Have you seen the film The Passion? Scenes from The Passion were playing. I was listening to Jenny, but there in the background was these scenes from The Passion. And we have been very solemn today. Solemn isn't misery. Solemn is remembering that something really awesome took place on that day. So we have been solemn about it. But on the day, the day began with a demonstration, a public demonstration set up by the, by the, the Jewish leaders. And there was noise and there were cries for death and there were floggings and there was blood and there were flies and there was noise and there was shouting and there was crying and there was screaming and there was despair going on. On the day it happened, it was so different from the quietness in here because then they couldn't see the end. Our solemnity is because we know what happened afterwards. And our solemnity ends up in adoration at the awesome mercy and love and nature of God that was being demonstrated in what took place. There's so many things you could talk about on this day. I want to take three things as seed thoughts and leave them with you. This is not a polished, finished sermon. These are three seed thoughts. Number one. Uh, Baldrick used to say, I have a cunning plan. These chief priests had a cunning plan. Uh, we know that they uh, were jealous of Jesus because we're told the Pilate sussed that one out. They were jealous of Jesus. But I suppose in worlds of politics, they might be considered not good men, but good politicians. They had the peace of Jerusalem and the peace of the country in mind, and their own jobs, of course. And as Caiaphas had said, it's, don't you realise it's better that one man dies and that the whole nation perish? Because if there's an uprising, then, uh, um, well, we're under Roman authority here. They could crush us. So politically speaking, forgetting their jealousy for a moment, they probably acted in a way that most many politicians would approve but we read in verse 55, is it 55 of chapter 14, they were looking for a way to have him killed. And this was their devious plan. Because they knew very well that Jesus Christ had healed people. He had spoken the word of God. They knew very well that they were going to find it very difficult to find any testimony of any sin that he had committed. But he had made himself equal with God in some of the things he would said, and they had been appalled by that. Here's a man saying things that give himself equality with the Father in heaven. He even called God his Father. Well, they knew that in Deuteronomy there is this curse. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and uh, 21 I mean. And uh, if a man guilty of a capital offence is put to death and his body is hung on a tree, you mustn't leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You mustn't desecrate the land of the Lord your God, the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. If they could get the Roman governor to put Jesus on a cross of wood, 
then everybody would know that this man wasn't a messiah, not a king. He was a deceiver, a blasphemer, and actually under God's curse. That was a very clever but wicked plan. End of Jesus. Full stop. Forget it. Now let's get on with life. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you are devious or cunning or any such thing, but we do get caught up, even ministers get caught up in the politics of their churches, don't they? And many of you have got some quite significant authority running through your veins in the places where you work. So I'm just asking you to think again and let the Holy Spirit riddle through the way you use the authority you have. <laughs> what is the motivation for the way you use the authority you have in the place where you work? Is it unwittingly politically motivated because of the policies of the board. <laughs> Does it need to be thought through again? I'm not suggesting that anybody here is anything but good, but we get caught up in these things. So I just leave it for you to think about. The second simple point is this. Jesus himself gave the chief priests, his oppressors, their perfect reason for crucifying him. They couldn't find any reason to, just, uh, to, uh, to condemn him, even when they had people that they'd sort of kind of pro, um, got ready to give testimony against him. Um, their testimonies didn't agree. They didn't stand a chance. So the high priest in what might be said to be a very clever question in those circumstances and from their point of view, asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus, now then, picture him, he has been arrested, he's probably in, in bonds, he's been humiliated, um, he's standing before an unjust council. He's at his weakest, but not as weak as he will become. He's at his weakest, and he answers this question full in the eyes, eyeball to eyeball. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, this is an incredible thing for somebody in his position in imminent danger of death to be saying because he's quoting from Daniel chapter 7 and in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 we read this got to look at the right chapter to get it correct in my vision at night I looked and there was before me one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Now listen to this. He's speaking to the Sanhedrin. 
He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now he's quoting Daniel who made that statement about the Son of Man whom they would see seated at the right hand of the Mighty One. They were wielding the power. He was the victim. And yet he's making this awesome claim, which they can't fail to recognize as, from their perspective, being blasphemous. Ha ha! We've got him, they think. Except they haven't listened. Now, I know that some of you, at different times, in your really strenuous um, heavy workloads have really been put down and under the cosh, under the yoke, weary. Listen to Jesus here. He didn't lose his dignity. He stood up and he looked the high priest in the eye and he told the truth even though it was going to bring all hell down on his head, as it happens quite literally. He didn't lose his dignity. He stood firm in what he knows. God give you that strength in Jesus, who is your saviour. The final point. As the priests and teachers are rubbing their hands with glee because Jesus, they think, has inadvertently fallen into their trap and made it possible for them to declare him to be under God's curse, there is actually a hope hidden in Jesus' abandonment. I want to explain where I get that from. Because Jesus is taken away, he's mocked, He's by the, by the priests and their soldiers. He's slapped. He's, he's taken to Pilate. He's spat upon. They're beating his head. But remember when they're beating his head, they've got a crown of thorns. I walked into the African bush once to have a, well, to have a wee under a tree and didn't understand why the Africans weren't going under the tree. When I got under there, it was a thorn bush. And I realized because I came back bleeding. Now then, they made a crown of these thorns and smashed their rods down on his head and mocked him. And before he even ever reached the place of crucifixion, they'd done that with him and also scourged him, which isn't mentioned in this, in this particular thing. So that on the cross, and this is in Mark chapter 15 and verse 33, we hear this cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can imagine the priests rubbing their hands now. He's under a curse. Got him. Everybody heard him say it. But what they didn't hear was what lay underneath it, because Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 
begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's not the end of the psalmist's faith. It's not a cry, it's not cursing God. Because it's a psalm which trusts in God. Listen to this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you don't answer. By night, I'm not silent. That's how Jesus is, hanging on a cross, which is a condition none of us can understand. But the truth is that the Holy One is enthroned, and the psalmist goes on to say that, you're enthroned, but I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by men. I'm despised by people. All who see me mock me, hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. So that's the way it is. God is enthroned in the heavens, but this poor man feels himself abandoned. He goes on, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, a piece of dried clay, pottery, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. This is Psalm 22. A Psalm of David. And this is where Jesus mindset is at the point when on the cross he's crying out my God why have you forsaken me because he has been forsaken because he has been abundant because he has been carrying the sin of the world and the father's presence has been absent from his experience for the first time in all eternity but his mindset is in this psalm and in this psalm there's faith Because he goes on in verse 22, even though all these things are happening to him, the psalmist says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Isn't that a hope of resurrection? Isn't that saying, all this has happened to me now and I've felt the abandonment and I've carried all this stuff according to your will, but I will declare your name in the assembly of the faithful because you will raise me from the dead. This is in his mindset. From you comes a theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Jesus doesn't say this. The psalmist says this. But this is underneath the cry of dereliction. And then he says, all the ends, this is the psalmist again, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Isn't this what Daniel said? All the ends of the earth will turn and all the families and nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over nations. In this cry of dereliction, there's also an expression of faith and hope and expectation. Because when he stood before his accusers, eyeball to eyeball and didn't lose his dignity, it was because he was telling the truth he didn't have to lose his dignity 
and for all the planning of these evil men, the purpose of God is being fulfilled at this very moment in his experience and through this agony. Sometimes, and this isn't easy, in smaller circumstances than many of you have faced, I've had to face these circumstances when through accusation you don't stand a chance of winning. What you have to do is what Jesus do. You have to submit to the circumstance and stop trying and trust God. This is what being a Christian is. It's what it's going to be for some of those Syrians and Egyptians and others. There's nothing they can do about it. All their effort, however well educated, there's nothing they can do. They must accept the circumstance and trust God. And maybe that's where you are too. You're going to have to accept it. Stop struggling. Trust God. Because, of course, he wasn't under a curse. Well, Paul would say he was, but he was carrying the curse that falls on us. And the curse that falls on you because you have followed Christ, he has already borne that. So trust him. Trust him. Because somehow, somewhere, and not necessary in the way we suppose, there is a resurrection. Because he's promised to fulfill his vows in the presence of those who trust him. And that means in your presence and with you.